Red Cloaks Radio is a production of the Boston Red Cloaks. Hi, this is Jesse with Red Cloaks Radio, and I'm joined by my co-host today, Karen Rose with Red Cloaks Radio. This has been a huge week in Massachusetts. We're so excited to have our guest senator, Cindy Friedman. Hello, Cindy. Hi, guys. They're wonderful Hi. to see you. Karen, um, do you want to give a quick overview? Uh, yes, I do. Actually, I was preferring to just be able to sit here and gaze at you adoringly. <laughs> <laughs> but Cindy, I mean, but but uh, Jesse asked me to um, say some some words which are very easy. We're we are so help, happy to welcome you here, Senator Friedman. You are the state senator for Fourth Middlesex, which consists of Arlington, Billerica, Burlington, Woburn, and parts of Lexington long a champion for reproductive rights and equity and gender affirming care. Uh, we are thrilled to speak with you today about the new legislation that's come out of the state house, spearheaded by your thoughtful actions, which provide legal protections to Massachusetts, Massachusetts abortion providers, out of state patients and insurers, and it expands access to contraception and also extends abortion beyond 24 weeks in the case of dire fetal circumstances. Welcome. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. You guys are so kind. It's, it's just amazing to have good news. So we wanted to talk to you directly. You were lead negotiator for the Senate, bringing together a House and a Senate different versions of, this, of a similar measure. So we wondered if you can help listeners understand what are the basics that we are celebrating and then we would love to understand what this process means. We have a new law. What have we changed in Massachusetts that is making it safer for pregnant people and for people who are in need of gender affirming care? Okay, so I will start with the law, okay? So we've had on the books, the Roe Act. And in fact, we, uh, we it has always been, um, um, legal in Massachusetts, but we had the, we did the Roe Act in 2020, which clarified access. And um, it also had in this where, at what point in the gestation cycle, um, different, uh, different activities could occur. So there was before 24 weeks, there was after 26, 24 weeks. When the, the Alito opinion leaked, we realized that we had to do something very quickly. They the Senate at that time had the budget in their in their branch. The House had already done it. The leak came out. So we said, what is it we have to do and what is most important? Well, the most important piece at that moment and still is the most important piece, if you ask me, is we had to protect our providers and our patients and anybody that supported a person in need of an abortion because the laws in other states were saying not only can you not have an abortion, but you we will sue, we will let there be a private right of action, a suit against anybody in another state that helps one of our residents get the care they need. And this was really serious because it meant that Sally could come up from Texas and then, you know, Mr. Jones could go after the provider at Mass General and sue them for giving Sally an abortion. And so we, we, heard, we definitely all heard some stories about, there was one pregnant woman in particular in Texas put her kids in the car and drove all the way to Massachusetts because she didn't want to risk having anyone seen as abetting her in her state. Right. And then when you think about, wow, right, you don't want someone in Massachusetts who's right. helping 
to then be able to be sued by someone in Texas. Exactly. Okay, so that was a core thing you had to deal with. So those are core thing we have to do. So we, we put together a very, very thorough, extensive provider protection piece that provided patients and providers. And the providers included anyone. It was medical providers. It was social workers. It was the Uber drivers protected the, you know, in terms of what uh, you can't extradite people very, very hard to extradite somebody for that. Um, so that was the piece we did. Um, I guess other things happened unbeknownst to us and the house went ahead and did a bill. And um, so they, they, instead of doing it in the budget where we had it, they did a separate bill. So they, that separate bill came to us. It was different. We, we had a version of our, what we wanted to do was different. So the two bills had to be reconciled. So that's what a conference committee does. It says there'll be three people from the House and three people from the Senate. There'll be a lead negotiator and they will sit down and we'll come up with a compromise bill if we can. And so that's what happened uh, last week is that we came up with that we, we conf quote, conference the bill and then we came up with this this compromise, which then the House passed, the Senate passed, and the governor signed. It's an incredible relief for all of us in the Commonwealth that we have a process that allows people who basically have similar visions to come together and iron out some of those details. Right. And I'm sure you can't go into great depth, but I think people are interested in understanding when you're sitting down and doing this kind of compromise work, You know, what are some strategies that really help people move forward well, for me, what's really important is understanding what's the mo what are what are the important pieces with the person you're negotiating and why? Like what's the problem that we're trying to solve? And when you understand that, you can either say, aha, I get it. So does this language does this language solve that problem? Are we getting to where we need to go? And if not, how can we do it? Uh, how can we fix it? Or I don't agree that that's the problem. So how can we, but I have this problem. So how about if I do this for you and you, and in your bill, and we do this in our bill. So that's how the negotiation process works. Now, in reality, there's a lot more context and a lot more things that are going around and politics is politics. As somebody said, you spend two years putting together a bill or creating a policy and then you spend the next six months it's all politics and there's no forget the policy you know so we try not to do that but that's basically how it works you just try and come up with well what's important and why and how can we get to yes for both sides how will those laws actually the protection laws how will they actually be um uh put in put in place is it just a law that is stated in massachusetts that this kind of trans Aggression cannot take place, or does the attorney general get involved? No. So what you have to do is because there's so many aspects of healthcare, you have to go through all the different parts of the law that actually address issues of delivering healthcare. So, for instance, there's licensing, and there's all these licensing laws for providers and other, you know, other medical professionals. You have to go through all those and say. And what we did is we said, when this professional or when this person is delivering care that is within the laws of the Commonwealth of, the, of Massachusetts, you cannot affect their license. You cannot 
you know, um, punish them through taking away their license. You go to liability, the liability parts of the law, and you say you can't uh, punish somebody by increasing their liability payments when they are providing care that is legal in the state of Massachusetts. And we were very specific about health care, uh, that it was abortion care. And, and so you have to go through all of these different parts of the law you know, we have to go through the psychologist parts of the law and the physician assistant parts of the law and all the aspects that affect healthcare providers. In addition, the governor has extradition rights and we had to change the, the laws about when and what kind of extradition the governor can do. So though all those laws had to be changed. Um, so it's a, it's a real, um, you, you come up with a concept and then you just spend, days going through all the mass general laws and seeing where you have to fix things or change things so that people are protected. Wow, that is like exhausting. That is so much work. It is, and lawyers love to do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it seems like it's almost the, the yin and the yang of what Texas legislators have done in trying to come up with what they think of as really novel and clever ways to punish people and right. hold them back. And so it's delightful that Massachusetts has a counterbalance in terms of brain trust. So hurrah. Yeah, we, there's, our brain trust is extraordinary. It's just extraordinary. One thing I'm thinking about for those of us who followed the Roe Act or legislation in even earlier sessions that helped secure access to abortion and reproductive health care in Massachusetts is so many legislators have now talked about reproductive healthcare. They've talked about abortion. They've come to understand things in a way that many people maybe don't. I'm wondering what it's like from your perspective in the state house, having gone from a few years ago where maybe people were shy or uncomfortable. I noticed in my social media feed way more legislators proud of what's been accomplished. What do you see from the inside? Oh, I think that that's definitely true. I think we are an absolutely pro-choice state. And I also think that what, what I've learned is that when you first present these kinds of issues to people, there's an immediate reaction, right? It's, and it's not always a good reaction. I mean, people have a lot of trouble with late-term pregnancy and the terminations of late-term pregnancy. They have a really hard time. When you can actually sit down and have a conversation and let the, you know, let the thought process go uh, through that they're much more likely to agree and understand. And the other piece that I was really clear to me, and I, 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 I've not been very good at expressing this, but it's so clear to me that a lot of what was happening was this distrust of women, that somehow women are going to make some arbitrary decision when they have carried a fetus for 32 weeks or 26 weeks, and somebody tells them that there is something incredibly wrong, that somehow they're, they're just going to decide, or women at 32 weeks are going to decide, you know, I'm tired. I'm, I'm really bad. I don't feel so good. Let's get rid of this kid. Like, that was sort of the sensibility that I was, you know, somebody said, well, I guess we could do what you said, because, but, you know, we don't want people making arbitrary decisions. And I looked at them and I said, what an awful thing to say. Yes, there may be some crazy person somewhere 
that is really off, you know, that is that is really off kilter. And but 99.9%, I will speak for women, don't make arbitrary decisions in late, especially when they've been carrying this, this child in them. It's just the thought is it's just it makes me cringe. And so when you say, here's what's going on, these are people who are finding out that their that their fetus has has significant and serious brain development issues. And maybe they're not gonna be, maybe they're not gonna, it's maybe not fatal when they're inside the womb or fatal right when they leave, but they have extraordinary problems with and which will need extraordinary medical intervention and then people begin to understand and I had a great conversation with a guy who's completely anti-abortion and he said I read that article I listened to what you said and I thought to myself what a horrible thing to have to do is to you know I can't imagine what that's like to have a child and they're delivered they're they're dead or they're or three quarters of their brain is missing and he got it and he voted for it so my, that is my experience, right? And, you know, just say one more thing. I am a pro-choice person. A choice is a choice. I, I may not be comfortable with your choice. I may not like your choice, but you either have a choice or you don't have a choice. And so I'm very, I'm really a pro-choice person. And I understand that this is an evolving understanding and it's part of our job to help people get over those issues that I don't have, but they're not coming at it in a horrible, you know, they're not anti-women. Some of them are, a lot of them are, but these are not anti-women people. They're just, help me understand this. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to go on for so long, but that- Well, we love it. We, we absolutely love it. Um, it's the, um, Distrust of women is something that we've been, we've looked at for a very very long time, and it happens on so many levels. It doesn't even have so to be about right. reproductive care; it can be about um, your attitude towards education, or how to raise a child, or uh, you know what you want to do with you know some other part of of, of your life, um, and that misogyny that's behind it, and the control that's that's behind it, and the ugliness that's behind it. And I love hearing you say it's part of our job, we as legislators, it is part of our job to educate uh, these people. And uh, we hope that we, we can help with that in any way. And this, your, your being with us today is, is a great example of us getting that message as well, your message, Senator, and um, the message for all, all good women. It people. really is. I think part of the legislation is also looking at gender affirming care. And not everybody has followed or really understands what we're talking about. Similarly, we're seeing across the nation people yeah. doing horrendously violent, cruel things. And we need to have more conversations about gender affirming care. It sounds like they're taking place right there at the state house and that that has helped. Yes, we have had, I mean, initially when we put that in, we had some pushback and the response that I gave was, gender um, oppression is, is happening right now. It's not something that we're being proactive about. We have to, you know, we can see it, it's happening right now. And 
So it's it's really critical that we put that in at the start. And we, I don't, we didn't have any pushback. We had some pushback uh, from some people saying, well, what does this mean? And what we said is if it's legal in Massachusetts, you get to get that care. We're not expanding stuff. It's like, it's legal. We get to decide what we wanna do and what our values are. And then we need to protect people when they do care based on those values and those laws. So it makes so much sense. And Karen has often said here in our podcast that the storytelling, when people share their individual stories, that's what's so powerful. Very so powerful. we know those stories are reaching people and, and we will have more about gender affirming care in coming episodes. We wanna ask a couple of factual questions so people take them home and share them out. One is we've had a listener ask, you know, does this mean we're changing our constitution? When you're passing this legislation, is the, is the state constitution changing? And some people are following efforts in other states to change the state constitutions. So can you help clarify, you know, what is a, what is a law doing and what would it be differently in the constitution? So when you change the constitution, it's a very different process than when you change a law. Constitutions um, are, um, they're, they're separate. You have to Basically, you have to have a vote of the population to change the constitution, and you have to go through a certain process um, where the where the um, legislature votes over a series of sessions to allow something to be placed upon a ballot to change the constitution. So we just did the fair share amendment. Okay, the fair share amendment is on the ballot because it changes our constitution because we have to change our tax structure and that's constitutionally defined. So the, the legislature over the course of two years voted in a constitutional convention to allow that to be put on the ballot. And then uh, you get the signatures, you have to do everything that you need to do for a ballot initiative. It goes to the popular, it goes to the residents and they vote on changing the constitution. Laws are changed by the legislature. Okay, so you you elect people, they go to they go to the state house, they write laws, they write policies, they implement the laws. You know, they vote on the laws. They don't implement them. The executive branch implements them, but they write the laws, and that's what the legislature does. So there's two different two different paths between a law and a constitution. It's very hard to change the constitution. It should be very hard to change the constitution. So this is in law. And the intention though this time, one of the big differences is we usually don't do that this, but we, we put in writing that it is the policy of the state of Massachusetts that abortion is legal. So it's an affirmative, um, it's an affirmative right to an abortion. And that is, but it's again, only in law, not in constitution. So we didn't change the constitution. That's super helpful. I think for many of us, these have been very frustrating times at the national level, seeing you know, a very organized effort to turn back the clock and, and set especially women and people of color back and right. take away rights that are there. So sort of in closing, two kind of quick things. We'll, we'll try to end on a happy note. So the less happy note is when, the Republican organized effort at the national level is about let's shift things back to state by state decisions. When you think about the Supreme Court and how they've been ruling, and then you look at what we're doing in Massachusetts that we celebrate, you know, how safe are we in Massachusetts? What are the limits of that? It seems like the Supreme Court could recognize fetal personhood 
they could take other steps that would be difficult. What do you see when you look out? How, how safe are we with this new legislation? Um, I think there's some parts of it where we're very safe and I think parts of it where we've, we have really, um, I don't wanna say pushed a limit, but have decided a determination that some other legal authority could maybe say no. And that really, the, the big part of it is, is has to do with what the state's relationships are to each other. So there's actually constitutional um, articles that you know that require this cooperation between states, and the question is, are we pushing some kind of limit when we say, well, we're not going to cooperate? Now we've been very careful about how we've done things. Basically, we say you can, for instance, you can extradite somebody, you can sue somebody, but we don't have to help you. So we think we've stayed within the law on that, but someone's going to litigate it because everybody litigates everything, right? So there's some of that. Um, there's a couple other things that that's really the big one, but um, but those are, you know, so so we don't know, but we feel very comfortable and confident about the way we did what we did. So um, I think what's going to happen now is that we really have to look at the federal, at the, at the, US Congress and see what they're gonna do. Because at this point, they could take a vote that would outlaw abortion, right? right. And then the states don't have that authority anymore. That's key. And I think it's great for listeners to understand that's why we're not resting. If you believe in freedom, you're not resting because even though we are so grateful, Senator Friedman to you and your colleagues in the Senate and the House here in Massachusetts, we know that there's a lot of work for us all to do. There's um, a lot of work. I would say though, don't, you know, the old saying is we don't mess with Texas. Maybe don't mess with Massachusetts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I feel that way right now. <laughs> don't mess with mass. Don't mess with mass, right? <laughs> Thank you so much for taking time on a Saturday while you're actually in the middle of waiting to time. <laughs> right. And you're actively senatoring. Uh, we really appreciate your look across the state. It's a good reminder for listeners across the state that what matters most isn't only the legislators in your district, but paying attention to legislators across the Commonwealth, because Senator Friedman may not be your personal senator, but her work right there uh, certainly impacts all of us in our future and the future of many people who might seek care here in the Commonwealth from across the country. Absolutely. Right. Well, thank you. And thank you for all of your support. I'm very, very lucky to have the district that I have um, and the activism that I have, but also the thoughtfulness of people that you really care about what the substance of things are. And that is just, it's, it, that's just critical for, for me. So I really appreciate that. We're all in it together. Let's have a good week. Thanks so much again. Red Cloaks Radio is a production of the Boston Red Cloaks. Find us at bostonredcloaks.com 